Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded, recently hitting 6 million listens. Support us by buying a copy of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a small donation. In return, we'll give you the chance to nominate a guest and even win lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. Find out more at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. I'm delighted to travel to Friuli Venezia Giulia this morning to meet my guest, Ben Little. Originally from Dublin, author, blogger, multimedia artist and poet, who has written an extraordinary book unlike any wine book I've ever encountered. Pignolo, Cultivating the Invisible. Ben, thanks so much for being my guest this morning. Where are you and how are you? Good morning, Mark, and uh, many thanks for the for the invite. Pleasure to be here. I'm in uh, the Colli Orientale del Friuli, as we speak, uh, just in the northernmost part, in a town called Tarcento. And that's your home, Ben, is it? Yes, currently it is. <laughs> okay. And is it a nice day there today? Well, you know, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit overcast. Uh, the weather is uh, uh, is quite changeable at the moment. We did have, we did have a good week uh, at the beginning of September, and it augured well for the uh, the white grape harvest. But, uh, you know, again, the reds won't probably start to come in for another week or so. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's okay. It's, it's a very critical time, yeah. Yeah. Ben, before we dive into the world, the extraordinary world of Pignolo, tell me a bit about yourself, how you came to live in Friuli Venezia Giulia and how you came to be involved, um, obsessed maybe is a better <laughs> word, with... Uh, the world of wine, and with, in particular, the world of Pignola, which we'll, of course, talk more about. Well, you know, the, the, there's one word that basically links everything, uh, links all those questions, and it's love. Uh, so uh, I met my now wife in Dublin uh, in 1997 and uh, made a first trip to to Friuli. She, her, her father is... Uh, uh, Friulano, her mother's Irish, and uh, and she happened to be working in Dublin at the time, and we met in a in a wine bar, Dublin's only wine bar at that time, La Cave. And in 1998, I, I came to Friuli Venezia Giulia for the first time, and uh, it was quite a I, I would say a spiritual encounter. Fell in love as much with her, uh, Lucia, uh, as uh, as I did with the with the feeling that I discovered that, that I you know dove into in, in the the region. 
quite quite a remarkable experience. Well, that's amazing. Uh, actually, it's not entirely unlike my story. I live in in Devon uh, in the UK, but I met my wife when I was. 19 years old when I came over to study for a year. Yeah. And I'm still here now. We're still here now. So good for you. A very long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So, so love is a very powerful motive. And I know love is part of the story of Pignolo. Well, it's the motive. It's the motivation for so many things that go so deep that have such rich value. And that's why it features so heavily in, in Pignolo's story. Yes. So how did you begin? What were you doing in Dublin and how did you, what did you begin doing when you moved to Friuli? It's a big change um, culturally. Uh, it's an area I can see well why you fell in love with the area as much as with Lucia. I was in Friuli myself in June and it's an area I always love traveling to. Yeah, you know, work uh, has always continued. So my links with Ireland are are still very strong, obviously, with uh, quite a large family and uh, friends and so on, and work also. So I found myself, let's say, commuting between Friuli and and Dublin uh, and maintaining all things alive. My my connection with wine, you know, developed as a kind of a, a, a pastime, um, a passion, is is a great word to use because that's what it became. Um, and it's funny, it all started when I was working for a mineral water company in Ireland. So <laughs> the irony, if you call it that, is that somehow I, I managed to change water into wine <laughs> yeah. because I was equally passionate about water for about five years. And, and it was water that introduced me to wine. And, uh, and ever since then, so arriving in Friuli in 1998, I remember the first dinner that I had with my uh, then sort of unknown to be new in-laws. And my father-in-law, Romano, during that, that very first meal on a, on a July evening, placed a number of bottles of wine on the table that we drank. And, and I thought I knew something about wine from that previous working experience with wine merchants in Dublin. and uh, But I didn't recognize any of these names. And I found myself asking, well, you know, this is th these are wonderfully structured wines. I mean, is this a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon and uh, Merlot? And, and he looked at me aghast and, you know, telling me that the wine that you're drinking is Refosco. <laughs> and it's, an, it's a native grape to here. And then the wine that you're drinking now is a Schiopettino. And that's a native. And I was and I was just flabbergasted. I had no idea of the existence of th this other world, almost like a parallel universe. So I, I literally fell in love with the whole idea of native grapes. When I came here, it was, uh, it was like a magnet. I was just drawn to them, uh, drawn to the, the, the culture that surrounded them and, uh, and started working, um, you know, on my own bat, just just to learn more, to understand what it was all about. Sure, and I can well understand that infatuation and excitement that comes from discovering Italy's wealth of native grapes, not just in Friuli, Venezia, Giulia, but in every single one of Italy's 20 regions. It's one of the most richly appealing parts of why, why Italian wine is, is, is what it is. Yeah, in fact, infatuation is such a beautiful word to use because it, it in fact became that. And people started to say to me, friends back home said, you know, well, why don't you, you, I mean, you should be writing about this. You should be, you know, doing something. You're, you're putting so much time into it. And from that then was born 
what was my blog, what is my blog, uh, the native grape, the native grapes.com. So I just started writing and started, you know, publishing my finds, <laughs> my discoveries. And then at, at some point you decided that this is, this is uh, actually more than a blog. This is a book that is revealing a whole universe. Let me first say to our listeners that Pignolo, Cultivating the Invisible, is quite unlike any wine book I've ever encountered. Perhaps unlike any book at all that I've, I've ever encountered. It's striking verbally as it is visually, and it centers around a single grape variety, Pignolo. And Ben, I want to just give our listeners a teaser from Act One to gain a sense of your voice, which is so strong throughout, uh, throughout this uh, remarkable book. This is from Act One. The part of life entitled What Happens Next is the elusive mystery that holds us in perpetual suspense. Though we might feel in control of everything, are we really? Far from my wildest imaginations, an encounter with Pignolo sprang to life, morphing into a fantastically bizarre undertaking. A madness such as this usually affects other people. It never happens to us. Until it does. In the depths of my ignorance, Pignolo fished close to my emotional seabed. It got me trawling for meaning. It got me digging for me. So I think this, this small snippet from Act One, Ben, really shows clearly how this word infatuation is completely apt to this extraordinary work that you've created. It is an infatuation about an obscure grape variety that many will never have heard of, let alone taste. You've produced a book of more than 400 pages about Pignolo. So I have to ask you, I have to ask you, there are other native grape varieties, Ben, as you mentioned, Schiopettino, Rifosco del Pedungoloroso, Tazze Lange, the Whites, Ribola Gialla, Friulano, wonderful in their own right. But Pignolo is different. Pignolo captured you. Why? Yeah. Well, in, fa in fact, that was it. Was beautiful to hear your voice and, and to hear you reading it. Actually, I was feeling quite emotional um, as I was hearing it back to me because it very much was the voice that the voice in my head. I could have technically picked anything of about twenty different native grape varieties. Uh, from the the let's say the 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 river the wealth that is uh, native grapes in Friuli and people have asked me you know why Pignolo and I would have given in those first sort of two years or so of my research because I started in the spring of 2016 and you know my background my my study background from university was I studied economics in Trinity College and I and obviously I had worked in in the commercial world for nigh on 30 years so it was a question of uh, I guess economics absurdly told me, you know, what I should do. Um, and I did consider the others, I mean, Schiapettino, they, and, and they had an association. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, well, they're, 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 you know, they've got something going for them. Riffosco, there's loads of producers doing that, and that's got something going for it. And in the end, you know, it was, it was almost like in, the, in, a, in a room, in the shadow, in the corner of the room, you know, stood the, uh, the presence of uh, Pignolo, and it just was looking at me. 
And, and it's a looming uh, presence, all, isn't it, Ben? It's a. It's, it's a, a. It is. Yeah. It's an extraordinary wine. And and the the other um, you know word that you that that was contained in that little uh, passage that uh, you you read and it and it features in the book uh, is fishing um, and actually fished because I I realized I guess after about three years of constant uh, study that uh, I didn't choose Pignolo Pignolo chose me and to become this let's say this body of of empowerment not f- for me but for uh, Pignolo's custodians the winemakers uh, the those who are uh, following it those who have been fished so there's a point in the book where where I describe Pignolo as the fisher of women and men and it's it's an amazing thing and it's something that all lovers of Pignolo have in common is uh, that sense that they were fished <laughs> from uh, uh, you know from this pool of humanity, and uh, all P- Pignolo lovers have this amazing, um, let's say, sense and spirituality uh, uh, that connects them. Yes, I think I can understand what you mean. It's a it's a wine that is difficult, that is challenging. And yet for those who love it, and I do love it, uh, it's a wine that you feel very glad to be in love with. Now, you mention love in this story as well. You say that for producers of Pignolo, it's often a choice. It's a choice in life at a lot of levels, but for for Pignolo, it's a choice between love and money. Pignolo people choose love. So in an essence, this entire book, you said your your relation with Friuli Venezia Giudi came through love, and your love affair is displayed in this book. It's a love story of a grape, but it's also a love story of the entire region. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and there may be, uh, uh, let's say, cynical views that might suggest uh, I'm being overly sentimental. But when it comes down to it, um, uh, as I contend with with humanity, we we left the evolutionary path two hundred, let's say two hundred and sixty, two hundred sixty three years ago, when the industrial revolution um, brought us down what I call the developmental path, and so that today we as humans we make choices we don't people speak about human nature but in fact we we abandoned our our nature as humans uh many 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 years ago so we 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 make choices and to to help the reader uh, you know and the curious wine adventurer uh find uh the way to the pignolo path i felt it was important to you know not simplify because it's it's not a simplification but it's to, it it makes it a clear there's a delineation between what we do and why we do it and the choices that we make and there is no commercial reason no economic reason to produce pignolo therefore by default those producers who do produce it are producing it for love yes yes i can certainly understand that and and i think ben that's the case with a lot of Italy's wealth and plethora of wonderful, wonderful native grape varieties that few have heard of, and which makes them very difficult to sell, 
certainly beyond the locality, even within Italy. But people continue to cultivate and grow these magnificent grape varieties because they have done and because they love it. They love that those wines. Yeah, and and that's and this is what's very important uh, with this discussion because you know Pignola's story is, as you say, uh, uh, replicated uh, all over the peninsula. I mean, it's incredible. Italy's wealth, uh, genetic wealth, is is incredible when when one speaks about Vitis vinifera. Um, but when we when we speak about economics uh, and uh, and the economy of wine, uh, clearly Pignola doesn't fit in that world. And so it's very much uh, in a parallel world, a, a parallel universe where the, the values that are held are entirely different. And unfortunately, one could say that today we are, we are so governed by numbers uh, and numbers that are pushed at high velocity that we tend to overlook you know, the wealth that we, the, the evolutionary wealth that has been bestowed uh, upon the planet. And on us as hu the humans who are, you know, uh, let's say amongst the, the most evolved uh, uh, species. Uh, and it's our role to, uh, to protect that uh, and to ensure that, you know, the evolutionary path continues. The developmental world has uh, tarmac. Uh, over uh, what they call in, in Italy or in, certainly in Friuli, the Strada Bianca, which is, the, this is the unbeaten path, uh, the unbeaten evolutionary path. And what, what we have to do and what Pignolo is, is teaching us as our teacher are, are these evolutionary lessons uh, and that we should not, uh, you know, discard uh, what it is, that the, the wealth that we have been bestowed with just for a quick fix, a quick book. Yes, and it's important out of that, Ben, to, you tell the story of how, I love the way you begin, first of all, with the, with the historic overview of the region itself. But when you were looking at the story of Pignolo itself, it's a grape that was very, very close to um, extinction. And you tell the story of Girolamo Dorigo and the Noninos, uh, Gianola and Benito, uh, and how they helped to actually safeguard a, a magnificent grape that would otherwise have been lost. Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful part of the story. And, and even more beautiful when I think that, that earlier this year in May, we lost Girolamo. Um, but the work that he did, the pioneering work that he did, uh, means that we have this uh, not only a story, a legend to share, but uh, we actually have a wealth uh, of amazing wines. And and yeah, it's it's amazing to think. And I and I wrote about that uh, in terms of 1969 and uh, you know man landing on the moon in July, uh, while at that very moment uh, Girolamo was put putting up the up the hill to the Abbey in Rosazzo to uh, speak with uh, Monsignor Nadaluti because that's where let's say the the modern story, the modern history of of. Uh, Pignolo resides is in that area. I love the way you liken it to an equally giant step for mankind. Those steps up to the Abbey. Yeah, no, it. I mean, well, it was. Uh, you know, you know, it's kind of a parable in a way. It's almost like a parable of our times. 
and and I love this sense of Pignolo being one amongst uh, many, you could say even amongst th- a thousand uh, teachers, and that and that we now as the taught uh, because this you know that that together with the teacher the we are we have become the teaching and it is for us to to share this it's kind of it's it's almost biblical in a way uh, i didn't i didn't realize exactly where i was going because uh, even to go back a couple of uh, steps i had no intention to to write a book uh, i had no intention for this to get anywhere close to what it has since become but in fact the, the wonderful thing about it is is that yeah following pignolo uh, along that evolutionary path, this this whole thing evolved into uh, this massive project. I had no idea. The whole thing of visibility was that in, in 2016, Google could only see 15 producers, and I so I did all my research in the in the in the beginning. You know, uh, in the English language, uh, I wanted to see what you know the world could see of Pignolo. So, I found 15 names and I started with that. And little did I know, when I asked those 15 producers, well, how many of you are there? They said, well, you know, maximum uh, uh, 20, 25. When my own, I, so, I, I, so I, had, I had these 15 names. Okay, so that means I only have to find another 10. This was going to be just a couple of posts on the blog. Maybe I would do a tasting. Uh, you know, I wanted to do something for my new home region my new home on planet earth and um and i couldn't there was just no idea of what was going to happen next and it just it just took over took over my life yes i can see that ben ben give us in a few words for those of our listeners who have never tasted pignola describe the wine to us what makes it such a singular wine describe pignola i know there are many different styles there's subzones but what is Pignolo the wine to you? Well, I, I'd tell you that there is there is actually a short answer uh, for this, um, which then can become a very long answer. But it was actually a question that I received from Laura Feluga, uh, who's the daughter of Andrea, niece of Filippo Feluga. When uh, I, I was surprised in the summer of 2019 at a tasting. And at the end, she had I believe she had just come back from America. She speaks wonderful English. And uh, we did this wonderful barrel tasting from the vintages 15, 16, 17, and 18. Uh, no one else on the planet has tasted them apart from me and the Faluga family. And uh, she said to me, Ben, in three words, what is Pignolo? What does it mean to you? And at that point, I'd written over 100,000 words uh, on this book. And I thought, God, you want three? And so the book actually contains my reply to her. And to sum up Pignolo in three words, I would call it uh, instinct, empathy, and flow. Uh, and when you taste Pignolo, they're the intrinsic characteristics that you're looking for. Um, it's, it is a very instinctive wine that bears the instinctive, creative hallmarks of, of each of its producers. And as you say, there are uh, different uh, stylized varieties because there, there was no book, there was no recipe on how to make a Pignolo. And it has this wealth of, this polyphenolic wealth uh, that so many w- would initially feel themselves uh, wanting to, to, let's say, 
to dominate. Uh, gotta gotta get these tannins, particularly because I think together with Sagrantino, uh, I know Ian Daggett would say that you know these are the two most tannic grapes, uh, grape red grape varieties in uh, in Italy, and that it's it's a case of domination. Uh, and how do you get those under control? The, the amazing thing about Pignolo is actually you don't need to. Uh, I refer to this that it is not a tannic bomb in need of disarming and dismantling. Uh, it needs to be understood, and it needs time. It needs time and and patience uh, and a, and a and a and a balanced approach. And these things. If we go back to Girolamo, I remember my first uh, meeting with him and uh, we were talking about the magic of Pignolo and how he discovered it uh, in the 15th season, the 15th vintage after he had planted. He he noted first and foremost a uh, change in behavior of the vines in the vineyard. And when he tasted the wine, he realized, hang on a second, this is just, it, it has found its own own balance it it has reached a point of maturity and so as I, as i say the, the pignolo vine is is almost human like uh in terms of its behavior uh and just like us you know uh we do need to go through and get to the other side of our teenage years before uh, we reach a, a kind a point of maturity whereby we 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 discover a balance within ourselves um, which has always been there, and so patience is something that that's hugely important. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I mean, as a as a wine, and you find this in the wines also. Um, so the you know the keys uh, uh, for for Pignolo, uh, both in the vineyard and in the cellar, uh, are patience uh, and balance, and having that maturity. And it's something that you know, really comes across in the wines. When I started in 2016, that vintage 2016 is slowly but surely uh, arriving in the, the marketplace, um, depending on the each winery's um, path to uh, release. Some will, will are, are on a kind of three to five year um, cellaring practice and others are between five and ten yes. years and then others again are beyond ten years some an, an amazing uh, discovery in in a white wine a predominantly white wine making region to discover uh, a cluster of uh, more than a cluster of uh, producers uh, releasing their pignolo after 10 to 15 years which is a very rare thing yes that is incredible Absolutely. Yeah, because there's no return on, on your efforts until those 10 years. Exactly. Uh, so it's, um, but this is, so, this is something that Pignolo is doing all along the way, instinctively. Those producers that, that, that discover that empathy uh, um, between themselves uh, and the vine, uh, and between themselves and the wine, the fruit, that then turns into a creative flow. Uh, and they are de de demonstrating, these custodians demonstrating incredible uh, creativity. And so that, that as, you, as you referred in your, in your question uh, at the beginning, you know, there are many styles uh, and uh, that are in some way related to the areas uh, where the wines are produced. So around Cividale del Friuli, uh, where you find Michele Moschioni, uh, you will you will find also the likes of Paolo Rodaro 
the Zorzetic family and where a little bit of surmaturazione, air drying the grapes. On the vine or on the on after harvest? Here's the funny thing. Because of because of the nature of Friuli's climate and or historical climate, um, you know, it has been considered that uh, difficult to mature black grapes uh, for making red wines. And so one thing that uh, Michele Moschioni uh, pioneered was this uh, from his time when he worked with did a couple of stages with uh, Quintarelli and uh, Dal Forno uh, in Veneto, two uh, amazing Amarone producers, this, this idea of uh, drying the grapes off the vine. And he started that in order to uh, reach maturity and phenolic maturity for uh, Pignolo, as Michele says, it is, uh, it, it is the universe uh, for Pignolo. Uh, you, you have to reach that. That's really interesting because uh, Amarone, of course, has that gentleness that is quite the opposite to a, a very, very tannic wine. And perhaps Arapacimento helps to give that slightly rounder uh, rounding of of the, of of the angular edges. Yeah, well I mean the, the the let's say the potency of the tannins are found in the seeds. So if the seeds are not mature and depending on how the the winemaker will craft uh his pignolo, uh you've got to be very careful with punch downs and pump overs uh and, you know how you work the wines because if you extract those very green, potent tannins, uh, it will be almost impossible for them uh, to knit, even with a lengthy evolution. Yes, I guess that's the problem with climate change, when the sugar levels reach such a high degree before phenolic ripeness has been achieved. Absolutely. A wonderful thing happened in uh, 2018 uh, when uh, I visited Michele uh, Moschioni in the vineyard and a couple of days later, uh, when he harvested, and it was the first time that he picked and fermented his Pignolo straight away because 2018 was a wonderful vintage, uh, beautifully balanced. It was like an escalator, uh, uh, you know, working its way uh, up to harvest time. It was dry. It was, it was just perfect in every way. And I think it it will be seen uh, in in years to come as one of the, let's say, one of the first modern great red vintages of Freely Venezia Giulia, 2016, okay. 2016 being for me the first. But in 2018, uh, Moschioni picked and fermented straight away. That's the Pignolo that I want to taste. He didn't dry those grapes. Everything happened in the vineyard. And that's well, why you've made us all want to taste that <laughs> Pignolo and many others. Uh, I, I, I love the way you're talking about the creativity of the producers, the growers, and then in the winemaking process. But I'd like to return to finish up on the book because we're running out of time here. Yeah. Um, and and you, you've been given us in this short uh, conversation such a insight into a universe of Pignolo, and I think that comes through in this 400-page book, which is not simply uh, a book of text, but as I said, it contains uh, your own photographs, illustrations, artwork, and it really is 
a work of art in itself, an object in itself. I've only seen an electronic copy, and I'm eager to get my hands on a physical copy. Oh, wait so, till you get that. <laughs> did, did you, did you, uh, were you involved in all the aspects, the design, the layout, the choice of illustrations? Because as I say, it's unlike any wine book I've ever seen myself. And I, and I loved it for the short time I've been able to look at it. Yeah, everything. Absolutely everything. So if you look at the uh, producer profiles at the end, so there are 65 uh, profiles uh, of each of the wineries, each of the producers. And there you will see there's a, there's a, um, an artistic uh, presentation, uh, a portrait, uh, uh, which I painted. And each of those portraits is a meter by 70 centimeters. So it's a rather large uh, canvas. And uh, I painted 65 of them. Wow. Uh, so in, in fact, it, it is a Guinness World Record, even though they don't they don't they don't know about it yet uh, but each of the because they're strangely painted uh i chopped people's heads in half uh to allow me create this kind of a puzzle whereby if i place each one of those paintings on the ground and place another one beside it um the the, the one half of one person's head joining it the half of oh another it becomes it becomes a new face an identity and um, and it, it it brings into discussion the whole topic of face value and how we recognize uh, things and how all of a sudden you can go from invisibility to visibility. So it's actually, it's a single portrait made of 65 uh, separate pieces, which measures 65 meters by 70 centimeters. Wow, incredible. Ben, how- how can our listeners get a hold of a copy of your book? Well, there is, uh, being such a, a limited edition, there is, there is one uh, and one only uh, outlet online, but it can be uh, sourced online through the website of Simon Wolf, uh, themorningclaret.com. And he is the exclusive uh, uh, seller of the book uh, online. And uh, yeah, it, we we can we can ship it all around the world. It has already reached every single continent. How many copies did you produce? I produced uh, one thousand five hundred copies, and in wow. fact, we're almost sold out. Wow, it has been it's been an an incredible success, as you say, born out of not just the. Uh, the creative content, uh, so in terms of the literary content and the, the illustrated content, but in terms of the actual uh, structure of the book itself. The book was, uh, I, I, I developed it as, a, as an homage to books, um, everything down to uh, the kettle stitching. And I was extremely fortunate at that time to have the services of a wonderful graphic designer, Karen Marzaro, and also Simon uh, Simon Wolf, uh, well known to many uh, in the world of natural wines. Uh, Simon was my uh, editor of text. He suffered through the 432 pages, and and as I say, with these with these and and with so many other people. You know, the book was 100% made in, in Friuli Venezia Giulia. Um, I, you know, I had options in terms of printing, but 
uh, I printed it uh, with a, uh, the printing company, uh, Grafica Manzanese, uh, Grafman, uh, which are a stone's throw almost from the Abbey in Rosazzo, in Manzano, because it, because it was important that it, it uh, reflected that. And I, and I think when people uh, have the book in hand and they open it up, you know, I would say that it has the, the, the sa di libro, it has that the smell of a book, and uh, in, in, instead of this, you know, the sadi tapo, um, which would be the court, it has it is this it has the sadi libro, and so the the touch of the paper, the turning of the pages, uh, it it's created a wonderful experience in itself, and so yes. uh, yeah. as I say, amazingly fortunate to have been that Pignolo put me on the path. Uh, with with so many wonderfully outstanding people, so the, from the winemakers themselves, their creative input, uh, yeah, I, I was truly blessed. Well, it's an absolutely fascinating project. It's a fascinating homage to a fascinating grape. Ben, I've so much enjoyed speaking to you today. Thanks for being my guest. It's been a fascinating conversation about Pignola, but about what life means to you through that wine. So I really hope that our listeners will both find a way to sample Pignolo and also find a way to order your book. I'm going to be placing my order as soon as we finish this conversation. So good luck with the second edition um, and all the best for now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. It's been a wonderful uh, pleasure to share the morning with you and and chat like this. Hopefully we'll have another chance soon. Yes, hopefully in person, Ben. A presto. Absolutely. Grazie. Mandy. Grazie. Grazie. Mandy, Mandy. Mandy. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin.